you all. It's a joy to be worshiping with you this Sunday morning, December 28th. You know, this congregation, you all, you're very special to me. Without hesitation, you've taken in a boy, a Cajun boy from South Louisiana, an LSU Tiger fan. I know, I know, I know. But without hesitation, you've taken me in and made me feel like family. Now, I know that probably 99% of the reason you've done this is because you love Sarah Lynn. <laughs> but regardless, I want you to know I'm very thankful for you for what this church means to me. I'd be remiss if I didn't express thanks to your pastor and my father-in-law, Dr. Robert Winburn, Pops. It's an honor for me to preach from the pulpit as you faithfully feel for almost 26 years. Now, almost 26 years, can you believe that? I want you to know it's an honor to be your son-in-law, to carry on the legacy of the ministry of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I trust that each of you had a Merry Christmas. My Christmas was absolutely fantastic. I got a different kind of gift this year. See, this gift is different because it costs me money and I'm told that that'll just get worse as this gift gets older. This gift is also different because right now it's costing me valuable sleep. I'm told that'll get better, but that's yet to be seen. But regardless, this gift is one that I would pay for a million times over and endure thousands of sleepless nights for. And I'm sure you can guess where I'm going. I think we've got a picture. Let me introduce you to my daughter, Landry Nell Hanbury. Now, I know I'm biased, but I think she's pretty gorgeous. <laughs> Let me tell you a little bit about her. She was born at 10.19 p.m. on December the 13th. Think about that. 10.19 p.m. on 12, 13, 14. We missed national news by eight minutes. <laughs> if only Sarah Lynn would have worked a little bit harder, Landry Nell could have been born at 10.11 12, 13, 14. Wouldn't that be something? But in all serious, all seriousness, Sarah Lynn's fine, Landry Nell's fine, both happy and both healthy. And I'm so thankful to the Lord for my precious girls. You know, the night Landry Nell was born, I imagine I did what most new daddies do. I held on to her for hours and hours, and I just praised the Lord for this precious this miracle, really, this new life. And that got me thinking about new life, about fresh starts. I think that's pretty applicable during this time of year, don't you think? See, we just got done celebrating the Advent, the incarnation of Emmanuel, God clothed in flesh, Jesus Christ. And only three days from now, we'll turn the pages on our calendar to a new year, 2015. Can you believe it's already 2015? There are many of us who are looking forward to this new year for different reasons. 2014 may have brought sadness, disappointment, despair, and we're ready to move past that. Others of us maybe just need a fresh start. Fresh start that the new year brings. Now, what I'm not talking about is some futile 
meaningless New Year's resolution. In fact, I challenge you to make a New Year's resolution and then start your clock because it will end quicker than you made it. New Year's resolutions do us no good. What I'm talking about is a fresh start, new life in Jesus Christ. And now while this may sound like an issue that only pertains to unbelievers, those who have not yet followed Christ, believers, I want you to know that this is directly applicable to you today. And so if you have a Bible or a Bible app or whatever medium you use, to read God's word, I invite you to open it as we look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 14 through 21. And as you're turning there, let me give you a little context. Let me set the stage for you. See, the Apostle Paul begins the fifth chapter of 2 Corinthians by mentioning the new body that believers will receive, in Paul's words, when life or what is mortal is swallowed up by life. And we know Paul's referencing the ultimate glory for believers, which is eternal life. Eternity lived with Christ Jesus, our Savior. So the obvious question that comes to mind is this. What do we do between now and then? What do we do until we receive our new bodies, until what is mortal is swallowed up by life? And thankfully, Paul doesn't leave us hanging. He gives us the answer. 2 Corinthians 5, verses 14 through 21. If you'll read with me. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. He died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, that person is a new creation. The old is gone, the new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Heavenly Father, I pray during this short time, Lord, that you would speak through me, that you would speak to the hearts of your people and you would show us what this new life in you is all about. Be honored and glorified. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, most times in this outline, verses 14 and 15 are not included with 16 through 21, but I thought it was pertinent to include these so that we know what new life in Christ is. This is all a message that you've heard before. But sometimes a fresh start requires a little reminding. And so I want to remind you what life in Christ is. And verses 14 and 15 show us that it's for Christ's love compels us because we are convinced one died for all, therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but live for the one who died for them. See, what is life in Christ? In one word, Surrender. See, it's a complete surrender of the will. 
It's becoming completely convinced that salvation comes through one person and one person alone, the Lord Jesus Christ, and being found in him. In other words, the union between Christ and me is so interwoven that it's hard to tell where Christ ends and where I begin. It's being found in a completely jointed union with Jesus Christ. You know, the great theologian, Carrie Underwood, (laughs) she had it right when she sang Jesus Take the Wheel, didn't she? What's she talking about? She's talking about a complete surrender of all that she is. Laying it at Christ's feet, dying to herself and living for him. This is what verse 14 and 15 tell us. This is life in Christ. That's exactly the point that Paul is making. Galatians 2 and 20 puts it this way. I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved himself, who loved me and gave himself for me. It's the great paradox of Christianity, isn't it? In order to truly live, what do I have to do? I've got to die. Doesn't make sense. In order to truly live, I've got to die. I've got to die to myself. I've got to die to my will. I've got to die to my desires, my inclinations, my dreams. Everything about me must be surrendered to the Lord Jesus Christ. This is what life in Christ is all about. The love of Christ compelling us to die to our own wills and to live for his. Nothing more and nothing less. And so now that we've seen what life in Christ is, we've been reminded of this, let me show you what life in Christ does. Let me show you the life that you can live in 2015 by surrendering your will continually to the Lord Jesus Christ. Obviously, there's a benefit in eternity, eternal life with our Savior. But there are benefits for us here and now as we go about our daily lives. And I'm sure that you could pull more than what I've done, but I've got three points. Typical Baptist preacher, right? I've got three points that I want to show you what life in Christ does. The very first thing is life in Christ gives us a new perspective. See, we leave the temporal behind and we focus on the eternal. Notice verse 16. We regard no one from a worldly point of view. I think too often as believers, we get caught up in the here and now, in the futile things that happen in our communities that surround us. And more often than not, when we get caught up in those things, it affects our feelings and it directly affects our actions. Let me give you a litmus test. How do you feel when someone pulls out in front of you on the road? If you were honest, most of us would say, the road belongs to me. I don't want anybody pulling out in front of me, but that's not living life in Christ, is it? What about when you see tragedy on a national or a global level? How do you feel about what's happened in Ferguson, Missouri or New York City? The sinful man in me wants to lash out, wants justice. But is my justice really justice? 
You see, are my feelings, are your feelings, are they reflective of your perspective in Christ? Or are they a reflection of the culture that surrounds you? We've got to ask ourselves these questions. Is the way that you respond to situations on a daily basis, is it reflective of your perspective in Christ or the community or the culture that surrounds you? See, what life in Christ does, it allows us to view situations vertically and not horizontally. This is what I mean by that. When we allow Christ to live in us and through us, we become keenly aware of his plan and of his purposes. And most of all, we realize that every single problem, every problem, it's a spiritual problem. It's a problem of the heart. And the only remedy for problems of the heart, for spiritual problems, is being made new in Christ Jesus. So life in Christ gives us a new perspective. The second thing it does for us is life in Christ gives us a new personality. Because we're justified in Christ, we live in victory, not defeat. Notice what verse 17 says. If anyone is in Christ, that person is a new creation. The old is gone and the new is here. This is a huge issue for believers. One that I fear many folks who call themselves followers of Christ miss. And I think the, the, the simplest reason that I can give for it is it, it's, a, it's a misidentification of two theological terms. Justification versus sanctification. Now that may sound a little seminary, but let me tell you what I mean. What is justification? Justification happens the instant I surrender my will to God and place my faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Instantaneously, I'm made as just as if I have never sinned. Christ's righteousness is credited to my account. My sin is credited to his account. Forevermore, I am free from the penalty of my sin. It makes me new. The blood of Jesus Christ makes me a new creation. Who I used to be is dead and gone. Sure, I'm in the same body. That part hadn't happened yet. But Jesus Christ gives me a new heart. I'm a new creation. That's what we see in verse 17. That's justification. What is sanctification? Justification is instantaneous. Sanctification is a process, is it not? It's a process by which God, through the work of the Holy Spirit, molds and shapes a person who is justified into the image of Jesus Christ. Do you see the difference there, the difference between justification and sanctification? I think that we've got to have this nailed down in order to live new life in Christ Jesus. See, Jesus is not saving us from our sin step by step, a little bit at a time. That's not what he's doing. On the cross of Calvary, Jesus Christ paid for our sin forevermore. It's done. It's finished. The work is complete. I think we as believers need to stop getting bogged down, mixing up justification and sanctification. We don't have to live in bondage to our sin anymore. We've been given a new heart. We've been given a new life. Life in Christ gives us victory over sin. It gives us victory over hell. It gives us victory over death because Jesus conquered those all. So 
What I propose in 2015 is that we quit walking around in the guilt and shame of our sin. We confess and we move on to live life and life abundantly in Jesus Christ. After all, we are new creations. Thirdly, life in Christ gives us a new purpose. We've got a new perspective. We've got a new personality. And now we've got a new purpose. We recognize that the message of reconciliation has been entrusted to us. You see what verse 18 says? All of this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ. And what did he do? He gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Look at the last phrase in verse 19. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. And I know you know this, but let's be reminded. Jesus Christ paid a debt he did not owe so that you and I could be something that we've never been before, justified, righteous, completely holy in the eyes of God Almighty. Jesus taught this in John 14, 6, did he not? What do you say? No one comes to the Father except through me. No one can be justified, reconciled to a holy God apart from the blood of Jesus Christ. And so great, that's good news, right? That's the best news ever. So do we just sit now at God's holy buffet and do we become spiritually obese? Heaven forbid. We've got a task to do. In 2015, Jesus Christ calls us to the ministry of reconciliation. It's the same thing that he called the disciples to do when he gave them the great commission there in Matthew. See, God has entrusted you and me with this wonderful message of reconciliation. Do you see what God's word calls us here? Ambassadors. We're Christ's representatives to a lost and dying world. That's a pretty big job, folks. And I've heard it said before, well, maybe you're the only Bible that some people will read. And you know what? That's true. Your lifestyle should reflect you being a new creation, you having a new heart. But notice what God's word says in verse 20 at the end of it. It says, it's as if God were making his appeal through us. And then it says, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Now, you may be able to implore with your body language, but I want to tell you that this word here has nothing to do with lifestyle. This is directly speaking the message of reconciliation. It's pleading with folks. It's begging folks. Do you not know what Jesus Christ has done for you? Be reconciled to a holy God. Jesus Christ bridged the gap between sinful man and holy God, and he's the only one that can bring both parties together in a peaceful union. Otherwise, we're left in our trespasses and sin, and the Bible calls us enemies of God. But Christ paid the price. That's the message that we've got to give in 2015. Be reconciled to God. So how is all of this even possible? Life in Christ. It's really the purpose of the advent. You know, Christmas time is a wonderful time where we celebrate the birth of Christ, but do we stop and think about what his ultimate purpose was? 
Jesus was born so that he could die. That was Jesus Christ's purpose. He was born to die. It's the purpose of the Advent. It's what we celebrate. And notice how verse 21 wraps all of this up together for us. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Did you catch that? God made him to be sin. Not he made him to be a sin. Literally, Jesus Christ embodied everything that was a violation of the will of God. Every little thing that opposed holy, almighty God, creator of the universe, Jesus Christ bore in his flesh for you and for me. Why? So that we could be clothed in his righteousness. Isn't that a wonderful message? See, only union being in Christ are we able to reap the benefits of Christ's birth, sinless life, death, burial, and resurrection. Only this union gives us a new perspective, gives us a new personality, gives us a new purpose. Folks, to be honest with you, in 2015, I don't know how we can have hope. I don't know how we can have peace. I don't know how we can have joy. Given the circumstances that surround us on a daily basis without union in Christ, without living new life in Christ. So I don't want to leave you with a resolution. I want to leave you with a challenge. Believers, those of you who have surrendered your will to God the Father, you've placed your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, forget those resolutions. Live in victory. Understand what Christ did for you. And understand who you are in Christ. You're a new creation, made new to walk in newness of life. The old is gone, the new is here. You don't have to be in bondage to sin. Jesus Christ has paid the price for your sin. Confess. Move on. Understand what he did for you. Understand who you are in him. And then understand the responsibility that being given an ambassador of Christ brings. Be willing to share the good news of reconciliation through your lifestyle, absolutely. But also be willing to verbalize it. Be willing to share Christ. And then unbelievers, if you're here this morning and you've never surrendered your will to the Lord Jesus Christ, bowed before God the Father, I've just got a simple plea for you. Stop trying to earn what's already been paid for. Jesus Christ paid the ultimate price so that you and I would be reconciled to God. So, Following the inspired words of the Apostle Paul, I implore you, I beg with you, I plead with you, be reconciled to God. Place your complete trust in Jesus Christ 
and be made new. Believers, unbelievers, this is my challenge to you for 2015. Live your lives in union with Christ.